Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Happy, happy weekend. Well, looky there. Time for another fresh edition of the Bob Rose Rewind. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, This week, we begin with a two-part special on mental health with a focus on addressing the needs of our veterans. Our parent company, Odyssey, is committed to preventing suicide and addressing the mental health issues behind suicide. Now on the Bob Rose Rewind, here is David O'Leary on improving the mental health of veterans on News Talk 97.3, The Sky. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening, our commitment to inspire more conversations about mental health. I'm David O'Leary. It's great to have you with us. November, we honor our veterans, and we also acknowledge the elevated risk for mental health issues and suicide among our veteran population. Brigadier General Jack Hammond joins us to speak on behalf of the Home Base Program, a national nonprofit dedicated to healing the invisible wounds of war for veterans of all eras. General Hammond, great to speak with you. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, no, thank you, David. Appreciate your time today. Hey, how we talk about suicide and, and mental health, that has changed a little bit in, in recent years. There's still a ways to go, but we're, we're more fluent in the conversation to talk about these things, to be able to identify problems. Is, do you see that in, uh, in your line of work in, in, in terms of our veterans? I think we see it not only with the our veterans, and it's funny because a lot of times the military leads medicine in certain directions based out of necessity and innovation, et cetera, uh, and, and it's happened throughout our history. And when you when you think of things like penicillin, X-rays, and all these things that came about as a result of World War One and and so forth, mm-hmm. but unfortunately for these wars, these most recent wars, uh, the mental health and brain injury aspect has been brought to the forefront for uh, some pretty rough reasons. I mean, we, we've lost 150,000 veterans to suicide since 9-11. Um, we've had a half a million veterans with traumatic brain injuries, which we know oftentimes will then lead to suicidal ideations based upon some of the issues they're, they're feeling. And so mm-hmm. the, the Army and the DOD have taken this quite seriously because, you know, when you start, when you lose 20 to 30 to 40 people a day to suicide, on a national basis, that, that's a red flag. Yeah, that will turn some heads. And these risk factors, I guess, were always out there for our veterans coming 
back from service and, you know, in, in combat. It's just now that we're more aware of them and, and maybe now acknowledging them a little bit more freely and openly in the last, you know, couple of years? I think so. I, I mean, you know, people have been traumatized since, you know, people were fighting with axes and shields, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty horrific stuff. And people have been getting blown up since people invented gunpowder. And I think that the reality is um, on the suicide part of it, it was such a taboo in so many religions, first of all, that even if it happened, people kept it hushed up. And, kept the lid you know, on it, sure. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of well-intentioned police officers and firemen that responded to scenes where somebody may have taken their life, rather than put the family through the challenges of dealing with that. And, you know, you look at insurance and other reasons, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll come up with another euphemism for it. Yeah. Suddenly, you know, died suddenly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Sure. And, and so I think it's I, I think we've, we've kind of normalized the injury a bit, certainly within the military. And I think that's helped with the general population, because when you when you have these conversations about suicide very publicly and the debates about the care and the need for care, you start realizing, number one, you need to do something about it. But I think the underlying issue that we're dealing with is mental health care is the worst reimbursed area of medicine. Ah. And so we've got the least alternatives to deal with something, arguably, that's a life-threatening injury, right? I mean, if all these people are taking their lives without adequate care, that's a life-threatening situation. The access to care piece, even finding clinicians and caregivers, even if you have insurance, even if you have resources, can be a real challenge. And I think that's something people have become aware of in the last couple of years as we're, we're all much more keenly aware of our mental health and anxiety and you know, all these other things. And trying to get care is a real struggle sometimes. It's, it's a huge struggle. And, and the other part is, you know, as you pointed out, it's not covered. So there's a barrier to care. I mean, if you've if you've got $500 an hour, you'll probably be able to find the right person. But the reality is most of them are generalists, mm-hmm. uh, and that's by design. And it's one of the few areas of medicine, right, that that's allowed to take place. It's almost like, you know, back in the 1930s where all you really had to go see was your general practitioner, and they pretty much right. did everything. Um, right. But that's where it is with mental health. Yeah. And so if you're a licensed social worker, psychologist, a psychiatrist, you have met the requirements to treat literally anything, even though you mm-hmm. don't have the proper tools. And, and this is no disparaging comments towards them. They're doing the best they can, and thank God we have them. Right. It's just you wouldn't go see a pediatrician if you had stage 3 colon cancer. Right. And the, and the complicated nature of the trauma that so many people are, are facing, whether in the military or out, you need someone that's trained and certified just as you would be in cancer care or cardiac care, you deserve to be cared for somebody that's equipped to deal with the complexities of the issues you have. And, and frankly, we just don't see it. And the, and the end result is an absence of the appropriate care leading to an increase in suicide. Boy, that's really well put. I mean, for all the talk that we have about normalizing this conversation around mental health and talking about uh, mental health the way we talk about our physical health, it's all well and good, but the treatment of mental health is very different than the treatment of of physical health. And if we don't have the caregivers, we're kind of back where we started. And if if you look on the heels of that, right, one of the byproducts of mental health challenges is substance use. Yeah, there's a lot of shared real estate. And we see that, and probably 60% of the folks that we care for have some level of some, sub, you know, whether it's, you know, it, it's you, a lot more often than not, it's self-indulgence and, and, you know, self-medicating with alcohol or sometimes prescription drugs or, or, or worse when it gets into the illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes those lead to those 
self-harm suicides. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the elevated risk among our, our veterans, because there is more to it than just, you know, being, uh, you know, close to munitions and, and, and things like that in the service itself in general and the, and sometimes the culture. I think you and I have spoken before about the, the culture that can tend to lead to that get back out there and, and do your job. And we're not going to talk about this. I know that's changing. But can you talk a little bit about why those who serve may be at, uh, at elevated risk? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a few reasons. Number one, you know, elevated exposures, right? You've got folks, we deal very closely with our special operations forces. And right now, you know, if you look at a, a Green Beret, a Navy SEAL, a, a member of Delta Force that, you know, is at the 20, 25-year mark, they've got 20 years of combat. They've got 15 to 20 combat deployments, and, and they've experienced some pretty traumatic issues. Beyond that, I think more to the point you were making it's also, you know, we're, we're self-starters, we're self-reliant, and, and we play hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so traditionally, you know, you, you kind of, there's a mentality we call, you know, you got to suck it up. So there's a difference between being hurt and injured. If you're hurt, you have to suck it up. If you're injured, you require medical attention. Mm-hmm. And, and too often, people confuse the two when it comes to mental health. Ah. You know what I mean? Because... If you fracture your ankle and there's a bone sticking through, there's no discussion. You're, you're injured. You need to be medevac. You're off right? the field, yeah. But if you pull a muscle, you're hurt, and they expect you to keep moving, right? Right. Where there's no physical injury that's visible, people assume a mental health issue, you're just a little bit hurt, and, and you're not injured. Right. And so that goes on for a little bit, and, and when it doesn't get better, it, it does get worse. And the longer you deal with it without treating it or, or responding to it, the more problems you have. And so I think that's kind of at the center of it, because even if all the best leaders in the world want to do the right thing by the service members, yeah. we're sometimes our own worst enemy because we don't want to admit failure. We don't want to admit that we can't solve a problem that we're facing because, you know, by definition, especially when we get into our special operators, they get sent into no-fail situations routinely. And that's kind of our mantra, right? Never accept defeat. Failure is not an option. So on a personal side, when you're not able to cope with something, you're not able to overcome it, it feels like a failure, and nobody wants to admit defeat on that. You know, back to uh, to care just a minute. One of the things that home base provides is at, at a thing called the Training Institute is you work with caregivers and healthcare professionals on a lot of different areas in terms of treating those who have served, how to talk about military culture and training on PTSD and, and all of the things that, that we're talking about. So it seems as if home base is working to try to create more care or more options for care for those who struggle. Yeah, we approach that two different ways. And so you've touched on it. So some of them are very intensive training programs that are certification, uh, providing clinical capability and capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's obviously a very extensive process. And, and we've been working with clinicians in Massachusetts, in Florida. We're starting to work in Arizona to help build clinical capability where there's an absence of that. And that, that can take six months. But what we've also done is a lot of individual trainings to help with military culture, to help with pieces of the training and the clinical experience, help raise the level a bit. And we provide the training to more than 85,000 clinical providers wow. in, in a various different uh, range of activities and, and, and therapies just to give them a little bit of help. 
and, and you know, it, basically, you're familiar with the CEUs and the, and the you know, the uh, course credits and medical training that you've got to do each year. Mm-hmm. This goes towards that, and we don't charge, so it's kind of an enticement to come work on our stuff so they're better prepared to treat veterans, because otherwise you've got to go pay to get your CEUs. We offer them at no cost, and, and we, we offer them in areas that we think there's a gap and, and needs attention. Yeah. We should note uh, the the care that Homebase provides for veterans of all eras and service members and families, which is so important, and families of the fallen, regardless of era of service or status or geographical location, it's all provided free of charge, which is no uh, no small thing. That's really really something amazing. Can can you talk about serving families and working with families and their part to play when someone is struggling and, and how they're impacted when someone's struggling? Yep. So. You, you touched on it right at the get-go. So families are a central theme to all the care we provide, whether they are seeking care themselves or the veteran is seeking care, because we know it, it's kind of an ecosystem. If you, if you only address part of the family, the injury has cascaded throughout the entire family. Hmm. Many of our veterans feel like they're suffering in silence, but their family knows they're not doing well and their behaviors are impacting everybody. And the longer this goes on, the longer the impact takes place. So we have very specialized programs for military-connected children. We've got programs for spouses, uh, parents, family members, couples. So we approach it from a range of areas. Then when we look, one of the things we looked at a few years ago was on our national programs, and this this goes to the point that you mentioned, all of our programs are are absolutely free to the veterans and military family members that need them. We have a two-week intensive clinical program that we've now operated for seven years that flies 24 veterans in from across the country and and anywhere in the world at no cost. So there's absolutely zero cost to it. It's the best clinical program in the country, bar none, and it's free. Mm. And so if you're a U.S. veteran and you feel like you've got PTSD, you need to call us and our folks will sort that with you. And we'll get you in the queue, but we we, we assume all the costs for airfare, lodging, meals, and all the treatment. About five years ago, a national organization called Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, which is an umbrella group for families of our fallen, they have a subset of families that are surviving members of suicide, not just losing their service member, they lost them to suicide. Mm -hmm. We created a very specialized program initially for the military spouses, primarily military wives, all too often either witnessed the suicide or walked in and found the remains. Mm. By far some of the most injured people we we treat at home base Mm -hmm. And we designed a 14-day intensive clinical program for it where we compressed nearly two years of therapy into the 14-day period with dramatic results. Um, And we've now been running that for about five years with great, great success. Um, I want to, in, in the short time we have left, point people to how to get care. If you're listening, of course, and you're struggling at this moment, call 988. But if you'd like to find out more about these programs or how to support them or how to avail yourself for someone you love of them, homebase.org, is that the, the, the best place to, to start? That, that is the best way, homebase.org. You'll see a button in there. One of the first things you'll see is connect to care. And so if you have any doubt, if you, if you, and, and, you, know, you can obviously peruse the website and see the various programs we have. And they, they really do range from very light programs that get people just reconnected to other veterans and military family members mm-hmm. to uh, resiliency-based programs that are now, with the advent of Zoom, um, we, can now, we now run these nationally. And they focus on stress reduction, anxiety reduction. With military-connected children, it also gets into self-esteem building. Uh, and then you get into the actual clinical care programs. And we have partnerships in across Massachusetts and Southwest Florida. We're soon to have some outpatient clinical care in Arizona. But the big ones are the national programs where we fly you to Boston. 
and, and essentially you, you, you press the connect to care button and somebody will reach out with you in a few days and connect with you and talk you through the process. Mm. You are not alone. That's the thing to, to, to know here. That's the key. Yeah, to find out just a little bit more. General Brigadier General Jack Hammond retired as U.S. Army Brigadier General, multiple combat commands, and has uh, dedicated his life's work to, uh, to saving lives and the good work of home base. It's great to talk to you, Jack. Thanks for all you do. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, David. I appreciate all the work you're doing as well. If you or someone you know is struggling with depression or anxiety, there is always someone there. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 988. And we'll be back with part two on veterans' mental health. That's coming up next on News Talk 97.3 The Sky. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, it's the Bob Rose Rewind on 97.3 The Sky, and we're back focusing on the mental health needs of veterans. Now, part two of our I'm Listening special on 97.3 The Sky. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening, our commitment to inspire more conversations about mental health. I'm David O'Leary. Thank you for joining us. This month, as we acknowledge Veterans Day, we recognize the elevated risk for suicide among our veteran population. The Wounded Warrior Project has for many years been working to turn the tide of veteran suicide and create mental health for our veterans. Began in 2003 as a a sort of a a grassroots effort for veterans who were returning from uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. The organization has grown in 20 years, and we're really, really thrilled to welcome a couple of members to speak on behalf of it. Uh, Dr. Aaron Fletcher, who has a wealth of experience in veteran mental health care at the Wounded Warrior Project. She serves as Director of Warrior Care and the Warrior Care Network. And Tanya Oxendine, who is uh, our U.S. Army veteran, thank you for your service, reached the rank of command sergeant major and struggled after her service, as many do. That is not an unusual or a a new story. She credits the care and support she received from the Wounded Warrior Project programs as part of her recovery. Welcome to you both. It's great to, to have you here on I'm Listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
The uh, the Wounded Warrior Project has for 20 years been working to serve those who served our country. How have things changed in that time? I guess I'd love to begin by how we talk about mental health and how we talk about suicide. Certainly in the last few years, that's changed. But over 20 years, it's it's come a long way. Tanya, can I ask you to begin? Yeah, I think we've changed tremendously. It was more of a stigma and a taboo not to talk about mental health. It, you know, you, words that surrounding mental health were very, maybe not very nice words like you're crazy or, you know, those type of things. And it has nothing to do with that. And I just think with Wonder Warrior Project, we have, you know, brought that to the forefront that it's okay to talk about it, that it's okay to share it with your family, to share it with those who love you, to seek help is just so very important to prevent and, uh, you know, suicide and just struggling with mental health. Like I did for so many years, just suppressing all of that. It wasn't that I didn't know. It's just, I just didn't feel comfortable saying it. I felt embarrassed. I felt shameful. I felt guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, we're, we're talking about this and what you're doing, David, to bring this to the forefront is just going to change lives and it's going to save lives. Yeah. Would you say the same on the on the care side of things, Erin? I would. I think that we absolutely have made a significant amount of progress in elevating the conversation about the mental health challenges that our, you know, active duty and our veteran service members face. I know that there's been significant changes and gains in the evidence-based treatment that we know works. So to Tanya's point, like when you're when that individual is ready and they say, I need help. We have resources and we have treatment that works, which I think is an incredibly hopeful statement. So we know that access to care has improved. Still think there's some some room for improvement there. And I think there's also room for improvement in continuing to elevate this conversation, Mm. to speak very candidly about it. I think aspirationally, I'd love to see mental health challenges be talked about in the same way that high blood pressure or diabetes are talked about particularly as it relates to the preventative measures that you can take with other physical conditions. I think a lot can be said the same for mental health challenges as well. Mm. I wonder if we could back up just a little bit and talk about the veteran population and it's self-evident, but I'm going to ask anyway, why is, what are some of the reasons and contributing factors for that elevated risk for suicide among our veteran population? Tanya, I'm going to grab that one. Yeah, please. please. Um, So I think veterans, when we think about individuals who are placed in continuously stressful situations, and that isn't just combat, that's training, that's deployments, being away from family and, you know, not being able to address those instances right when they happen, you know, especially if you're out at training or you're on a deployment and you witness something traumatic or you're noticing that your mood is lower and you're feeling more depressed and anxious, there's not an opportunity to talk about that in the moment. This is mission first. We need to stay safe Mm. and we need to be able to come home. And so we think about, again, that kind of longstanding continuous exposure to stress, anxiety, isolation from friends and family. We also know that some individuals that join the military are coming in with already kind of pre-existing mental health challenges that I think oftentimes get exacerbated by the conditions I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I like to, uh, if you don't mind, because Aaron is correct, you know, military services is difficult, it's demanding, it's dangerous. You know, we have faced with challenges and we have sacrifices that we have to meet and, and things that we do. And 
over 200,000 service members transition from military each year. And what may be smooth for one may be a roller coaster for another. So, and I think, well, I know a lot of times we find it difficult to reach out and ask for help, like as Aaron mentioned, because it is mission first to make sure our soldiers are safe, make sure our families are safe and doing all these things. So that's what we do. That's what we know that the military is to fight and win wars. And that's the mindset that we have. And I think Mm -hmm. when we transition, we're still in that mindset and not realizing that these things need to be talked about, that we need to develop new skills and discover new ways of learning and new ways of healing and to realize that there is help out there and we don't have to keep that bottled in and struggle alone that, you know, wounded warrior project is there. We have uh, several services and programs and they continue to change based on the needs of, of the warrior as well. You know, I'm so glad you said that and and spoke about that so eloquently, Tanya. You know, someone who hasn't served, I I think everything I know about the military, I either saw on TV in the movies Mm -hmm. or, you know, have talked to loved ones who who have served. I don't know. I really have no idea. I can't fathom that. And I do get the sense that there is a sort of a culture of if you know, you know. If you have served, you know, and I sometimes, you know, wonder if that can contribute to the, this idea of just get out there and do your job and we'll talk about it later mentality that mm-hmm. maybe causes those who are struggling to, to, to suffer. Yeah, it is. I haven't said that very elegantly, but I think you know. Right. No, you're, you're exactly right. You know, uh, I was, uh, I served in the 82nd Airborne Division, Rapid Deployment, Deploying Unit, Rapid, de- rapid Deployment Organization. You had to be ready at all times. We know that coming in the military. I swore to defend and protect this country, to protect this nation and our citizens. And that's where my head was. That's what I meant to do. And that's what I was going to do by any means necessary. Hmm. But then, you know, and, and as being a senior leader, you, you're just so involved in taking care of your soldiers, your soldiers, your soldiers, your soldiers, you kind of forget about yourself. Mm-hmm. And then when you transition, you're like, okay, there are no more soldiers. There's no more teams, so to speak. What am I supposed to do with myself? And then all this stuff, like for me, after returning from Afghanistan in 2012, I mean, it just came down. Like now I'm getting like just my, my head is swelling up. It just came down like this huge rush, just everything all at once everything all at once. And I'll never forget, I was at the Pentagon uh, and I was looking out the window. I was stationed at the Pentagon after coming back from deployment, looking out the window. And I told my colleagues that I was going to go and take a drive. And um, and I was going to drive my car for bridge. And I knew I would die because I, I don't know how to swim. I had those suicidal thoughts and thank goodness for my mental fortitude. I turned around, I ended up at Fort Belvoir a hospital there at the mental health counter and said I needed help and was recommended to Wounded Warrior Project. And I am so, 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 so grateful, so thankful that I am thriving now and did not leave a legacy of suicide for mm. my sons because that's where I was headed. Yeah, well, we're grateful too. Yeah. Aaron, to your point about mental health and, and talking about it and dealing with it the same way we talk about and deal with our, our physical health, can you talk about some of the some of the programs that are available and some of the ways that the Wounded Warrior Project works with veterans to do just that? Yeah, absolutely. So Wounded Warrior Project is really designed to support the whole person and their family. And so we have programs designed to address one's physical health and wellness, one's mental health and wellness their financial health and wellness, and then their, how we would phrase it, their social wellness, their community. Mm -hmm. And so we also know that individuals can come to Wounded Warrior Project through those different doors. You know, as Tani said, even though you know you're struggling, 
um, with some mental health challenges, that might not be the, the mental health door might not be the door that you walk into first. Right. And that's fine. We're just happy you're walking through the door. And then these programs are designed to kind of all work together, again, to provide this comprehensive and individualized approach to getting our veterans and their families what they need. Mm -hmm. So I think specifically about our mental health programs, we've structured it in a, a continuum of sorts, where we have kind of the lowest end of intensity, as it were, with our Wounded Warrior Project Talk program. That provides, that's a weekly phone call that the veteran has with the same kind of talk specialist every week for 20 minutes. They're working on accountability and a goal. Um, this is a great foray for individuals that are not ready for um, structured outpatient therapy yet. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to get some perspective, you know, again, that accountability piece. Then we have relationships with mental health providers in the community where we can connect veterans and or their family members to traditional clinical outpatient therapy. We have the Warrior Care Network program that I am so fortunate to oversee. And that is our exceptional two-week accelerated program for depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, military sexual trauma, using world-class treatment, partnering with one of our four partners across the country, delivering this care. And then we have kind of our complex care team that uses resources within the VA, um, and really provides that advocacy for more intensive levels of care. And it should be noted that none of these programs and services come at any cost to the warrior or their family. Mm. This is no cost to them. We bring them in, we guide them through, and we match them with what's going to meet their needs in that moment. Where do the veterans that you serve live? Where, where, where is your community of, of care? Is it nationwide? Certain nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, you know, it's a national coverage. We have our kind of connection events and our physical health and wellness events have kind of a local component to it Mm -hmm. for the face-to-face events so that you can really build that sense of community. We have virtual programming that brings kind of everybody together. Sure. Warrior Care Network specifically, national with four of our partners, and we fly you in for the program that's going to best suit your needs. Nice. Tanya, talk about in the few minutes we have left, you know, how important is it as someone who's owned your own struggles. And we're so glad you're well and and so grateful for your willingness to talk about it. Because when we talk about it, we normalize this kind of conversation. Right. Talk about how important it is to know that there are others who understand what you're going through, that you're not alone in this fight. Yeah, I was to just tell all my fellow veterans that they are not alone in this fight. You know, before Wounded Warrior Project, as we mentioned, I was struggling. I mean, deep, just struggling. Uh, And and it was for nine years, nine whole years, I I struggled with my mental health. And now I tell you, I live a wonderful life. I do. And it's because Wounded Warrior Project has helped me, helped me on that journey to better mental health and uh, has shifted my outlook on life. Mm. You know, there is no way that I could fail. Not with so many people trying to put me back together. You know, I'm fully operational now uh, and I'm on this amazing path and I get to, you know, go out and be a spokesperson for Wounded Warrior Project. And I travel the world advocating for mental health, physical health, military sexual trauma, you know, bringing awareness to what we do for our warriors. Uh, We are here to help. We will help and we can help. Well, I, I wish you nothing but continued success in what you're doing and continued good health. I think you got that triathlon in you as we talked a little bit before we, before we got started, but you're, you're a real force of nature. 
Tanya Oxendine, who served in the U.S. Uh, Army for 30 years, uh, reaching the rank of Command Sergeant Major, and also Aaron Fletcher, who serves as a Director of Warrior Care Network for the uh, the Wounded Warrior Project. I'd like to tell you how everyone can get in contact with us. If, Meant you know, to ask. Please do. Yes, yes. At WoundedWarriorProject.org. That's great. WoundedWarriorProject.org. I'm on it right now. And whether you're looking and finding out more about mental wellness, physical wellness, just getting connected with others, all of it right there at uh, WoundedWarriorProject.org to find out just a little bit more. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for being with us on Odysseys. I'm listening. Thank you, David. Thank you for having us. This is Odysseys. I'm listening. And if you're struggling, remember, you can always dial 988, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And the number again is 988. It's okay to not be okay. We know the power of talk can save lives. Odyssey's I'm Listening aims to share valuable resources for those who need to connect, heal, and share their own stories. You can find out more about the Wounded Warrior Project at woundedwarriorproject.org. And you can find out more about Odyssey's I'm Listening initiative at imlistening.org or by using the Odyssey app. I'm David O'Leary. This is I'm Listening from Odyssey. And coming up next, Congresswoman Kat Kamek, why she voted no on the CR bill. That's coming up on News Talk 97.3 The Sky. in-depth with newsmakers that matter. The Bob Rose Rewind. Happy, happy weekend. The Bob Rose Rewind. Last but not least, uh, we talked to Congresswoman Kat Kamek. Why did you vote no on the continuing resolution? She explains next on the Bob Rose Rewind 97.3 The Sky. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. And it was great to see you Friday night in Marion County. Oh, likewise. It was really, really nice to be back home and really fun to be able to share the stage with you, Bob. And uh, great to see you too, Greg. Oh, shucks. Yep, it was a good time and raised a lot of money for the uh, Republican Executive Committee in Marion County. Uh, Let me ask you right off the bat, this uh, laddered CR passed. This is a, mm. this is Democrats are praising it, so immediately my ears perk up. If I have it right, this is the kind of spending that Pelosi was fine with, and they just keep continuing on that. Um, what's your take? It, it was an awful package, you know, I, and that's why I didn't vote for it. In fact, I was pretty vocal against it. Uh, you guys know Matt, my husband. He's a, a, a SWAT medic, and so uh, I, I tend to use some of his his sayings and things that he talked about when he's at home and a reporter had caught me right outside the house floor yesterday and said, what's the pulse of the conference right now? And I said, the conference is an AFib. And mm-hmm. he said, well, how do you, how do you have to, how do you get back to normal? And I said, well, to establish a normal rhythm, you have to shock the system. And that's really what's required. And this bill doesn't do it. And if I hear one more time that we have to pass a package that the Senate will work with, I am going to scream because we don't work for the Senate. We work for our folks back home who sent us to Washington to make a change. And this package made zero changes. Well, it, 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 it's time. levels of Pelosi spending and policies. It, it, it's time to ditch the Mitch, but that's another story, and and you know that's part of the failings there on the Senate side. But but uh, yeah. we'll work with what you have to deal with. Now, how is this going to reflect 
on the new speaker, and he recently endorsed Trump, but this CR doesn't look or sound very Trumpish to me. So, you know, I was talking with Speaker Johnson yesterday about this, and I said, I said, Mike, I can't support this. Not only is this the exact same spending from Nancy Pelosi, no policy changes, no cuts, but it also has ghost gun provisions in it. And I am very clear when it comes to the Second Amendment, shall not be infringed. So this sneaky little provision, which is essentially a red flag law within the package, I am not okay with this. And I said, and quite frankly, this is just another example of kicking the can down the road, and you are not going to have the vote in a laddered CR or a single CR for business as usual. We have to get back to really pushing the 12 appropriations. And and he admittedly has been dealt a crap sandwich. He is trying to make the best out of a bad situation. But, you know, I think we have got to really step back and recognize that without dramatic changes to the way we do business in Washington, nothing will ever change. We will still be on the Autobahn towards a fiscal calamity if we do not start changing the way we're, we're spending money up here. And so he recognizes that. He's, he's in a very tough spot. He felt like he could negotiate a better deal for border security down the road if he were to play ball with the Senate. And really, time will tell. Well, uh, that's a joke about border security. Yeah, uh, Biden would uh, sign off on anything spending more money, but it wouldn't truly be for what we normal people think of as border security. All he wants to do is process people through there as fastly and as efficiently as he can. And that's not called uh, security. And, and then the other thing is, look, the Republicans, the only thing that you have is the House. And mm-hmm. I felt like Mike Johnson, the speaker, just gave away the only point of leverage that you have and may ever have um, mm-hmm. and gave it up way, way too easy. And I want to remind people, too, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but these spending levels we're talking about aren't normal government spending, no. which is high enough. This no. was the kind of get us out of COVID kind of spending that yeah. went super high. And we're continuing. Yes. And that was one of the big frustrations was. This is not pre-COVID spending. This is at the height of COVID spending. So just yesterday, with the swipe of one single card into the voting machine, your representatives, not me, I voted no, they spent $1.6 trillion. $1.6 trillion with a T. And that is all the discretionary. That doesn't include all the stuff that's already on autopilot your Social Security, Mm -hmm. your Medicare, your Medicaid, all that. That's all on autopilot. And that's where I get really frustrated, Bob, because people talk about the government shutdown games and how people get all worked up. Social Security uh, checks still go out. Government is essentially on autopilot because it's been mandatory spended Mm -hmm. for years. So the the elements of non-discretionary are what shut down, and you can have partial shutdowns and whatnot. But the thing that frustrating is that things that the Constitution clearly delineates to Congress as responsibility, national defense, that is not considered mandatory. And so we've got to really reimagine government spending from start to finish. And so um, we have have some legislation that I've been working with the Speaker 
and have told him we need to make sure that this gets incorporated. It is a structured debt repayment plan. And I know, Bob, that is probably the least sexy topic people can imagine me talking about well, is it- a structured debt repayment plan. But it's so critical for the long-term security of our country. No, no, it is, and and I agree with you. Yeah, it's not sexy talk, uh, but but I'll tell you what does get people involved is if we continue to spend at those COVID levels, that high level of spending, mm-hmm. that's part of what lit that inflation fire, which we're just now seeing it to kind of calm down, if you will, and the Fed, it's believed, is maybe not going to change the rate, but now you just pumped in all High-level spending, again, what's to keep us from feeling uh, another uh, big push on inflationary pressure? Yeah, exactly. And this is going to continue because now you have additional pressure coming from another supplemental, which would be $100 billion or more, that is Ukraine, that is Taiwan, and that is Israel. And this was the the conversation that I had with the speaker yesterday in the in, in days leading up to yesterday's bill, was the best leverage we have is this moment to not send a clean CR. We should not be continuing Nancy Pelosi's spending packages. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, there were Democrats on the floor just yucking it up and laughing and saying, hey, this is great. We love this. And it was all a big game. And it's just really frustrating because I'm watching my country die in front of me. And it's just we have got to get past the very one-dimensional, pass a bill, and then be done. We have to have a strategic plan to really address these big issues. And that's where I'm trying to work with my colleagues in making them think, okay, it's not one step, it's two, three, four, five steps down the road of how we advance actual policies that are wins for the American people. I'll tell you. That's not that's not a popular thought up here. I, I like what you said, though, that they're in AFib and it sometimes it takes a shock to get some rhythm back. And I love that analogy. And, and, and this coming from a person who I saw a, take out a grown man at home plate in a baseball game. I have to ask you, uh, Congresswoman Kat, are you throwing elbows around in the House floor like Kevin McCarthy? Uh, Bob, it's Fight Club up here. I'm just surprised that they haven't reported on it sooner. That's really what's going on. <laughs> uh, we always hey, we we appreciate your insight. We appreciate your time. We appreciate what you're attempting to do in Congress, Thanks. and uh, we're hoping, wishing, and most importantly, praying for you. And uh, keep up the good work. Appreciate you guys. Have a great week. Thanks to Congresswoman Kat Kamek and thanks to David O'Leary shining a light on the special needs of our veterans preventing suicide and improving their mental health. And thank you for tuning in. We invite you to tune in again Monday morning starting at 6 a.m. for The Bob Rose Show, along with Greg Cassidy right here on 97.3 The Sky.
Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.